0: You're listening to the best of the Tom Show brought to you by Bradshaw and Bryant.
1: Who, me? Well, <laughs> so that I'd like to really know if I was married singer. to a horror oh, piece did. of shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you could just look at her license.
3: My
2: it's a special stripe. That
3: you was know, amazing. Oh there. my gosh!
4: Coming by sweet corn, potatoes, onions.
5: everybody to another episode of the best of the tom bernard podcast brought to you as always by brad and bryant kicking off the show this week we had rocky laporte talking a little of this a little of that next on the best of uh
0: just before the show started, we were sitting out in the lobby, taking it easy. Steve was out there. Rocky was out there. I was out there. And J.B. walked in and said, where are the white women at? And I said, right here.
3: What? There she is. I'm the one.
7: No. I wouldn't have to say it because I knew she would be here. That's
0: true. You wouldn't even have to say that. It would be good. No, it would be perfect. Uh, be perfect. <laughs>
7: Bill Burr said he was tired of white women complaining because it was shot in London. Yeah. Right. Right. And he said he's and he's tired of uh, people in his country complaining, especially white women, who, who you know keep um, talking about white males privilege. And he goes right. When have you not been in the boat with us enjoying it too? Sitting in the same hot tub and this, that and it's the other you You know, he literally pushed it back on it was like, Well wait a minute, you enjoyed a lot of the benefits of our so called white privilege over the years. So right. don't don't all of a sudden try to jump out of the boat and make it seem like, you know
0: Well that's what they're doing though. Right. But I'll tell you, flat yeah, out, the most don't... comfortable
4: group in the history of the world.
0: Ooh, Being a women. modern
4: white woman right
8: now. Oh, there's a shot at mom right there. <laughs> that's
4: pretty comfortable. <laughs> oh, see, I told you.
8: You know, we were over at Caribou just before we got here, and every person in Caribou was a white woman wearing, you know, their their, their designer jogging suits and stuff like that, getting her mm-hmm. cup of coffee. And I, I I asked you, I said, you ever just like sit around and just look around you? And it's just, it's so clear. It's so clear. It's privileged. You can just tell. There's no question they don't about it. 35, 40, 45
0: year old women just enjoying their $7 cup of coffee. You and know I'm what you should have said? One thing you should say is if they ever say you're white men and they're white, white men privileged go, oh, you do realize we have to put up with white women, don't you? I mean, it's not that privilege. You have to put up with you. Yeah. Right? I'm divorced for a reason. Uh-oh! <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it was going to go there, Rocky. <laughs> now back to
7: Rocky LaPorte.
0: <laughs> oh, <that's> funny. <laughs> uh, you know, that that whole thing... You know what I really love, and I, and I talk about this quite often, Rocky, One of the, probably my favorite joke of all time, written by Richard Pryor for the movie uh, Blazing Saddles, when the mayor of the town stands up and says, well, he doesn't say it this way, but he says, we'll take the blacks and the Chinese, but we don't want the Irish. And the reason that's so funny is the current immigrants to the country were Irish. Irish, So whomever is the latest immigrant, we don't want you here. (laughs) It was a brilliant joke, and I think most people missed it
1: you want to hear something when i was a kid my grandmother actually said this when we're talking about a mob remember my, sure some yes. mob people your, your uncle in the family yeah so well, my grandma, uncle. yeah mine too yeah
0: threw him off a building to his death so that doesn't happen if you're like a janitor
1: no, no. wow <laughs> oh so,
0: yeah you know yeah yeah, huh? All right, well, their there, lifestyle, there, there's, right?
8: There's some solemnness right there. Mm-hmm. It's more, more, more Rocky dead, more, more dead people. More dead people.
0: We'll
1: be back with more dead people after this.
8: <laughs> Rocky, come back <laughs> in a year, okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <But> her, <laughs> who else is hanging <laughs> on? my like Lord, man. You, when, uh, one time, th- th-
1: this is uh, this is how you know I've been in like the business too long. After my sister, when my sister passed away, like at, at the mass, you know, the priest he goes, hey, he, goes, hey, he goes, uh, anybody want to come up and say a few words, you know. So, I to come up and, like an idiot, I wasn't even thinking. The priest, you know, he brings me up and I go, I go, let's have a nice hand for uh, Father. Uh, like, he's like the MC. I go, yeah, you know, well, be yeah. back in a few minutes. Keep it going for the Father there. Give him a nice hand. I'm like, he's
0: my opening act. I
1: love
7: you know,
0: that. Know? it's like, uh, as a Catholic kid, I love
7: that. But, <laughs> yeah, it, would, I it would be it interesting. Because when I was growing yeah. up in Catholic church, they basically said you couldn't applaud in church. Unless, well, that, no. unless they removed the, there was a certain item that had to be removed. What the? The clapper that turned the lights on. No, this sh- wow. I can't pronounce the word. I'm gonna get a bumper sticker: "Clap for Jesus." Clap <laughs> if you love Jesus. Exactly. Yeah, but they said it had to be removed before there was any clapping. And no laughing. show, of, really? no
8: show of emotions in the Catholic right. mass. Yeah. What's yeah. that all
7: about?
0: I have no idea. Because yeah, Catholics have no Whoa, emotion when they're out
8: drinking that. at the bar. Yeah. Or <laughs> Well, that's why they reserve it all for the bar instead of the church. So. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I grew up pretty strict Catholic. In the village, well, did so. you? Oh,
0: yeah. Well, I suppose Massachusetts. There are a few Catholics in Massachusetts. Irish
8: Catholic. Yeah, went to a Catholic mm-hmm. school for a few years, all the good stuff.
0: No wonder you didn't laugh when I said, we don't want the
8: Irish. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, my grandmother, she actually said this. when I, Now she's, first of all, like, I don't know why she was, the, she goes, you know, Al Capone, she's like, see, he was like, kind of misunderstood. Like, I'm really... That's like saying Hitler was a little misunderstood, <laughs> well, I you know.
7: Just, I just gonna say there are people who say that about Hitler. It yeah. Probably true. Misunderstood. And, and she
1: goes, "Well, he, you know, what people don't know. I remember telling me this when I was a kid." And she goes, "Uh, you know, he uh, during the Depression he opened up a lot of soup kitchens and he, he was did, feeding yes. the poor. He did. Yeah. And then she's talking about the mob, and she goes, she goes, they only killed each other in the Irish.
0: The <laughs> other and the Irish.
1: Goes, they only killed each other in the Irish, like other Italians right. and Irish. Like that was a way of <laughs> life. Who cares
4: about
0: are you, them? Are you? Kidding me?" <laughs>
1: Just remember, they're fighting Dia and in oh, yeah. the Northside Side Gang oh, yeah. and the South Side, side Shop, yeah,
0: yeah. It was like, oh my god, that is so wonderful! You yeah. know,
8: we were talking about that like the, the world was a slightly better place when the mob ran certain parts of it. I agree, like Vegas, I like, yeah, Like I agree. you know, back home in Springfield, Mass., had a huge uh, mob uh, influence, and then they all got locked up for regal charges, and now it's just, yeah, yeah.
1: You know, Vegas was, I think, the corporate America, they're they are screwing people in There's Vegas no now. They're charging for parking. Oh, like it was, yeah. I think it was better when a mob ran it, you know?
0: Well, you're home state, buddy. You ever go to the north side of Boston and try to cause trouble? No, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't do it. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> you don't do it. Mm-hmm. We don't do it in Southie either. No, you no. don't do it in Southie. or town. I still love the fact you're a Southie, you're a Townie, you're Irish and you're Catholic, but you're the wrong kind of Irish. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
1: that's, well, that's funny.
0: You're not from my neighborhood. That's a big big thing, which mm-hmm. is really really cool. I, I love
1: that. I remember the Italian American League, they were boycotting the Sopranos because they said it, you know, made, it made Italians look like bad. gangsters and yeah. thugs. Yeah. Right. But they said uh, if it doesn't stop somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, see.
1: Come on That's did you get,
0: awesome Can you hear me Andy <laughs> you hear
5: me?
1: Jump in brother
5: <laughs> I've gotten sleeping about a week
0: so <laughs> You'll
1: be fine We gotta get Andy some present. Andy Come on. You,
0: want, you, want, you want some Diet Pepsi Get a little caffeine cooking You'll be good to go See I, I But I loved growing up in that whole culture Like I said uh, We went That was the It was revealed in my own brain the other day. I didn't even realize this because we were talking about, you know, growing up and all the rest of it. And I hung around with black kids, Mexican kids, white kids, you know, the Irish kids, the Italian kids, all the rest of it. And I said, we had everybody. We all hung out together. Except we did have one thing in common. We were all Catholic.
1: Uh Because
0: back then you hung out with your neighborhood, you know. And it was a very, very Catholic neighborhood. here.
1: Here in St. Yeah, Paul, you grew up in from? North Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah?
0: Oh, right cool. down the road. Right down the road. <laughs> are there a lot of a lot of Black Catholics in St. Louis? Yes, I thought so. And why do you think that is? Uh, uh, most Catholics are. Uh, most Baptists, uh, Blacks are Baptists, aren't they? In the, in, in, well, the south. in the South, they
7: are. Yeah, yeah. I think it was just um, that who helped. Them get uh, yeah, life, okay. get a better life for Catholics, the Catholic Church, dealing with the guilt of, um, you know, when they, going back to the days of conquering people. Yeah. Because <laughs> the Catholic Church conquered people. Yes, they did. <laughs> so, yeah. I the think The Spanish they, Inquisition. Right. <laughs> so, I think to overcome that, they started help, helping people as they do now. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. Eh, That all works out in the end. Well, your mother loved being Catholic, though. Oh, yeah. She loved being Catholic. So did mine. My mother was a big, oh, my God. You were joking around earlier about about who you'd want to be and all the rest of it. At my house, because my mother was big-time Catholic, it was a picture of the Pope, JFK, because he was a Catholic, Dean Martin, Uh and Jesus. Yeah, Sounds no, like any Catholic <laughs> house I've ever been to
8: in my entire life. <laughs> exactly I right. think it's like the perfect That's cliche, fun. too. Like,
0: they made movies with that
8: same four photo <laughs> thing <there laughs> in them, you know? You ever see the town? It's in somebody's grandmother's house. You I know, love it really that is. Movie. Yeah.
1: It's funny, Dean Martin edged out Jesus. Like, in yeah, the
8: popularity yeah, thing, he, got,
0: right. he was up. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought it. And Frank Sinatra was too dangerous. It had to be Dean yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, yes, you're right, though. Cause thinking about that. It, it was a, a Catholic house. you all get oh, you're Catholic. Kennedy was in every Catholic house. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah. Oh,
4: yeah. Oh, that was a big deal. It's interesting. Oh, He's still God. the only Catholic president <laughs> we've ever had.
1: Yeah. But,
4: Despite the fact that, what, like, 20 30% of the country's Catholic. I should run. Makes on. you I think. Should. You should it? run for president. That's That'd a, be a good Catholicism really isn't Pope. as Pope. popular Pope. as he yeah. used to be. Although uh, South Americans are changing that. They're what? overwhelmingly
8: well, Catholic. The Hispanic culture generally is, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, even Christianity as a, as a whole is on a decline, yep. I think. With people being, what's the word? Woke. Woke. It's woke.
3: Uh, uh, it gets under my skin. I can't
8: stand it. You don't like it. that. This is the
0: worst. Ah, oh, laugh I, Come on, laugh at all. I I,
8: I want
7: to throw punch people that say it. What is, I don't, I'd pay ugh.
8: money to see you throw punch somebody. So what's wrong with I'm awake instead of I'm
0: woke?
7: Because it's hip. Why isn't
8: I'm awake? I was standing at the, the, the thing that overlooks the rotunda yesterday at the mall, and these three girls come up and go, Yo, do you know where the movie theaters is? Movies theaters. Movies, the theaters, theaters. movies theaters is theaters I'm like it's over there somewhere. Just get the fuck away from me. I don't, I don't, I don't have patience for that.
3: I can't what the hell I happened? Read
0: <laughs> the signs. No courtesy. It's at terrible. All. No courtesy. whatsoever I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what are you gonna do? <laughs> no. Awake.
5: Yeah.
7: We going to go with awake. No, I, I like the word enlightened.
0: Enlightened's good. That's good.
7: That's a word I use. You want to be Too many syllables. mm
3: mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. a lot don't. of syllables. Well, it doesn't What's work on
7: Twitter, apparently. That's why they just hashtag woke.
0: <laughs> I woke <Now>, it up. <laughs> now she's going to be all whipped up the rest of the day. <laughs> the rest of the day, going to be all whipped up. Thank no. you so much. Uh, hashtag woke. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you think it is that, that uh, America now hates Christians so much? What do Christians do now? Because your know, Catholics are Christians, people people don't a lot of people don't even know that. No, they think it's, it's a completely di- well, it is a completely different part of being Christian. I suppose all because but
7: it's not trendy not, not to like Christians. But exactly.
0: why? It's, in, it's
1: like do? the hula hoop. It's a big thing. Uh, <laughs> 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 a
0: it comes and goes. It's
1: a fad. You know, a couple years we'll be on to the next thing.
8: Yeah, it's only a few thousand millennia. Yeah. You know, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the,
1: <laughs> then, it'll, then it'll be like the snuggy. There's just like. Oh, like oh, I remember the Half
8: remember the people that? don't know why they hate something. That's <laughs> true. They just know
7: it's hip to hate it's, something.
8: Yeah, yeah popular on Snapchat, so that's why right.
7: they do it. <laughs> but but it, it's just funny to see the pendulum start to swing back the other way. It's got to. Because it's, it was so far out of control that you couldn't even say hello to somebody without them trying to figure out what's the meaning behind it. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm around little kids a lot. Right. I mean, we're talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, and up. <clears throat> they're like, I mean, granted, he's not the greatest president, but like, I hate Trump. I'm like, well, why do you hate Trump? Well, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I hate him. You I'm shouldn't like, have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. Know, right? You're not losing a whole lot,
4: no matter who's <laughs> the president. Like when would... I was five, we did a mock presidential election in preschool, and I voted for George Bush because I thought... His the name first would... one, I presume. He... Yeah. Yeah. His name is Bush. It's funny. <laughs> that was the end of my decision-making
8: <laughs> we process. We did do that when I was five. We colored in the lines if we were good <laughs> Yeah, enough. I don't you know, <laughs> have
0: any that. idea why we did that. Can it's, you even imagine that? You're voting for president in a Catholic school when you're five years
4: old. They do that. Well, this them. was before, Um, I mean, H.W. was elected when? 88. 88, he, yeah. He took oh, office Yeah, 89. so this would be his second term.
8: He didn't get a second term. No, he didn't get a second he term. He didn't
4: get a second term? A second term? Clinton, mm-hmm. Clinton knocked him out. Oh. Well, I don't know what I'm thinking of then. Polls, maybe a mock poll. I don't know. Well, they do that in the. Because that would have been five so when he was in office. So 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 Clinton what? was between elections. the bushes. What?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes, literally. Yes,
4: he <laughs> literally. was <laughs> <laughs>
3: literally.
0: I just love the fact that if you're the right political party, I like you.
3: What? Yeah, <laughs>
4: it's the simple That's and easy
0: decision making. I don't.
8: I don't do that. Like I'm. I'm not either. I consider myself a Democrat, but like. I wouldn't vote for Hillary.
0: I was talking about it this morning on the morning show. I was a Democrat for my whole life because my mother was a big time Democrat. You know, Roman Catholic and all the rest. Yeah, you have to. I was a Catholic until the the local TV stations and newspapers attacked me and tried to rip me to shreds. And I thought I can't, I can't follow along. You people. I mean, they were all. Every one of them was a Democrat too. They just roasted me, and that was the end of me being a Democrat. It was just weird.
1: People are sheep, you know. I don't know if you guys <laughs> like, st- like to me, Starbucks. Like it's just a brand name.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So I heard that coffee was it was discovered on accident. Like the those bean, it's burnt beans. Like they burn right. the beans. Right. Yeah. Who if would you ever would think get, to do that? If you would get burnt coffee in a restaurant, you would send it back. You go, this coffee's burnt. Can I get right. a fresh cup? Right. But because everybody lined up and go, oh, this is so people nobody goes nobody has the brains to go this is burnt coffee i don't want it but <laughs> it's starbucks
8: everybody lines up and buys it it's insane it's pretty much true but it'd be cool to use that same theory behind it to build up your own reputation your own name you know what i mean hence the idea of the podcast he was talking about use the sheep theory uh, or yeah. you could call it roasted
0: nuts <laughs> <There you go. laughs> <That'd> be- <laughs> i like that <laughs> Trademark that right now <laughs> roasted nuts all
1: right i take that back yeah that was- <laughs> never mind we'll be right back with rocky
0: laporte best of the tom bernard podcast
5: it was rocky laporte on the best of coming up next it was 9 11 this week so we had a guest talking about kind of dedicating his life and giving it all jeff morris talking about his book legion rising surviving combat and the scars it left behind Next on the Tom Bernard
9: podcast.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Legion Rising, surviving combat and the scars it left behind. Not everyone has pulled shards of another man's skull from the palm of their hand. Not everyone has stood over the bodies of friends whose lives were lost in an instant. Not everyone has struggled to face their own reflection for years on end. But anyone who has experienced trauma or adversity will resonate with Legion Rising, the unflinchingly honest account of an Army officer's journey through combat in the Iraq War and rising beyond the scars that trauma leaves behind our special guest, Jeff Morris. Legion Rising, surviving combat, and the scars it left behind. Afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
2: I'm great, Tom. How are you doing? I uh, really appreciate you having me on. Thank you.
0: Oh, it's great to have you on. Thank you for your service. And obviously, uh, it's what a story this is. I, I, I think... Boy, I tell you, I'm, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm of the age, I was, I believe, 18, the very last draft uh, during the Vietnam War, um, and then it kind of just went away, so they never did do that draft that year. But um, for me, of course, it was, uh, it was Hollywood uh, wars, and you saw that our guys go over there, and once in a while somebody take a bullet, but never the kind of thing you were talking about. That wasn't shown in movies back in the day, it is now. But it wasn't back then. It was pretty much glamorized back then, I think, if I remember correctly. So, um, how, when did you when did you start your service? Uh, it was because uh, Cassie mentioned it may have been had something to do with with
2: today. Eighteen years ago, is that correct? It did. It did. I, in fact, I initially well, I graduated college in nineteen ninety seven and wanted to go to the military then and oh, had okay. some. Shoulder issues from playing football in college, and I couldn't get in. Tried for a couple of years, and then so I left Florida, moved out to Texas, started my what I thought was going to be my career moving forward, and still had these, you know, that, that side of me that's like, man, you know, the, the what if. And so I just sat down and thought about it. Talked to uh, my girlfriend at the time, who eventually became uh, my wife, and. I, Not to sound overdramatic, it was a Tuesday night, and I kind of brought it up to her, and I said, you're going to hate me for this, but I'm still thinking about trying one more time. Mm -hmm. And she said, well, you know, let's let's think about it. And uh, she grew up in a military family, and she said, let's don't make any rash decisions. Mm. Well, that was on a Tuesday night, and the next Tuesday was September 11th, and so I was in the recruiter's office two two days after that.
0: God, we all uh, are sitting here today thinking back on that. Some of us are a bit too young to remember it. Uh, no doubt, but but there, are most of it. we were sitting. We were talking about. I also do a morning show in town, and we we're talking about it all all morning long, and how people just completely have lost their view of what really happened. I hear people talking about nine eleven now, two thousand one, things that never happened. Uh, that, <laughs> it, it, do you run into that, Jeff? I do. It's
2: actually pretty. Uh, with the book, I've been contacted by some. Just call them some interesting characters, and <laughs> yeah. some are all for you know what I went and did, and you know myself along with many others. Uh, but there's been a few that have you know what were you thinking? And I've heard some some pretty wild conspiracy theories about how I, I fell for the ultimate dupe. So I just I just laugh, and you know people are entitled to their own opinion, I guess. Uh, but I signed up for what I I knew were the right reasons, and I think most uh, most level-headed people understand uh, what happened that day, and. Uh, you know, and the, the things that have, and how life has changed, what the world's changed since then.
0: Oh, well, there's no doubt about it. Our former governor, Jesse Ventura, if I remember correctly, had some conspiracy theories about how the, the metal in the building could not have melted if a plane had just hit it, that there were other things involved. And he loves his conspiracy theories anyway, but I, I just, yeah, he sure does.
9: Well, he hosts a show about that. Yeah.
0: Well, he did. Yeah. Is he, <laughs> does he still, yeah. does he, Oh, he still does. What? Oh, I didn't even know. No. That.
9: Yeah, really? I think, I think
0: so. I don't know. He, uh, Jeff, uh, I've known I've known Jesse Ventura back in the day when we were both weightlifters, and 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 Jesse and I don't agree on oh ninety nine percent of things, but other than that, <laughs> it's really a smooth sail. Um, I want to sit back and listen to your story because you're so. How old were you uh, on that Tuesday before nine eleven? How how old were you
2: then? Let's see, it was right after I think I I would have just turned twenty seven when I did, so I went in a little bit late. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, and by the time, so I I went and started the paperwork then, and just the way, so ironically, uh, quick kind of funny story. So when I wanted to go in out of college, I wanted to go in the Navy, and I grew up in a little beach town in Florida, which is known as the world's luckiest seafood fishing village, and I'm allergic to all seafood, and the Navy had no problem with that.
3: <laughs> oh, there
2: you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, life's great irony there, and so the Navy had no problem with that, but again, it was the shoulder issue that kept me from getting in. Yeah. And so I went and applied for the Army. Uh, they cleared my shoulder right away uh, after two surgeries on it, and they medically disqualified me from entering because of the seafood allergy. Jeez,
3: so really? it ended
2: up – yeah, yeah, it was crazy. So I had to go through this long waiver process. It ended up being a little over a year before I shipped off to basic training uh, in October of 2002. So I did basic training. Then I had to, That was in Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Then I had to go to Officer Candidate School of Fort Benning, Georgia – uh, then I went to airborne school. Then my I, I was branched infantry in the Army. So then I went to, uh, the at the time, it was called the Infantry Officer Basic of course. Uh, did that. Went to ranger school. Got hurt at ranger school. Uh, you know, saying to get a story or a tab. And unfortunately, I was one of those people with a story. But at least I had a surgery to make it somewhat legitimate. And after I rehabbed and had surgery there at Fort Benning in January of 2004, uh, a couple of months after that, uh, my duty location was Fort Hood, Texas, with the 1st Cavalry Division. And so I moved out there, uh, and uh, I guess it was late March, early April timeframe. And when I when I was in-processing the Fort Hood is when the unit was already initially deploying over to Iraq. So I in-processed and met the unit over there about a month after everyone else got there. So I got to Iraq and, and Baghdad my first deployment was uh, early May of 2005. Okay. Excellent. So, so, uh, at that point you're then
0: 31 years old,
2: correct? Um, uh, 20, so that was 20, because uh, you were 20, 2004. Sorry. Sorry. 2000, I'm telling you when I came back in 2005, oh, I got there in 2004. Into, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I, hey, I'm, I'm <laughs> all these dates run together after a while. So yeah, so I was, uh, Early May of 2004 is when I got there. And so I was 29, about to turn 30 Okay. Uh, that August, yeah. Okay. And so I the, got there, and I'm sorry, go
0: ahead. I was just going to say, well, ask very quickly, what do you think drove you to, to not give up? You tried and tried and tried and tried, and, and, and you didn't ever give up on it.
2: What drove you so hard that you wanted to serve your country? I think growing up in a military town, albeit primarily Air Force and, and some mm-hmm. Navy, there just always been that level of respect. I think a lot of young men, uh, you know, and I was your, you know, at least want to be alpha guy. I was a jock and, you know, always, right. you know, one of the next big tests. And to me, I guess I just always looked at as military service and especially combat as the ultimate test. I think deep down, it's funny how many people I spoke with, you know, in the years after I joined up, who said, man, I, I always wondered if I had what it took. Oh and yeah. I guess I just, I had that, whatever that thing is, some people have is I didn't want to spend the rest of my life saying what if, and when I was given another opportunity to go for it, uh, I wasn't going to let it pass. Did you grow up in
0: Pensacola? Uh, Destin.
2: Oh, Destin, yeah, right there then, okay, yep. yeah,
0: that makes total yep, sense.
2: Yep, yep, so about 45 minutes away, so yeah, you got the right. Air Force Base there. Absolutely, so
0: so uh, yeah. you, try, you, you just wanted to be, I, I like that you described it as an alpha thing, it's an alpha male thing, you just wanted to wanted to test yourself more than anybody else which i think is a good thing for people by the way testing yourself is a really good thing rather than just being complacent and let everybody else take the lead i i, I admire that about
2: you oh well thank and I, I think some of it is i knew i wanted to do it but it was almost that i needed to prove to myself i could do it type of type of thing and i that, that maybe wasn't the thing that i admitted out loud or maybe so, you know, hey, I'm the kind of guy that's going to go do this. But right. deep down inside, when no one was around, I was kind of asking myself, like, all right, can I do all this? And
9: I don't think fortunately people, things worked out. I don't think people realize how much work it is that you have to do before you can actually go serve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like all the places yeah. he made yeah. that he had to go to school, yeah. and it's yeah. never ending until yep. then you get to go serve.
2: Yeah, yeah. Those are the parts that uh, you reference referencing to the movie. Those are the things that get left out. You know, you show somebody sign up and next thing you know they're shipping off to combat and there's there's a lot that goes into it before
0: that it's so amazing and i i love to ask guys like you this question are you afraid of anything at this point after having been through that as i said pulling another guy's skull bones the shards of his skull out of your palm is there anything that you're afraid of anymore
2: yeah I, i would say yes i mean uh I try to look at it as now. Do I maybe react differently? My my wife will be in the car, and a car will swerve, and she'll freak out, and, <laughs> and she'll kill me for saying that. And you know, I'll just sort of. Uh, there you go. But no, fear fear is a, I think fear is a is a healthy thing, and mm-hmm. just because you know myself and many others went through this set of life circumstances and experiences, uh, I don't think gives you a blank check just to. Approach life. I may react to it differently, but right uh, the the, fe- the fear. Uh, I, I like that because that's kind of what uh, you know. Part of what made combat so exhilarating, and I think I can speak for a lot of vets here. It's it's scary as heck, but that's what gives you the rush. That's what makes you want to do it again. As crazy yeah. as that sounds, because it makes you feel alive, unlike anything I've ever experienced before. So you've tra- you trained. But, in- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so I was gonna say, but you, you have to be willing to deal with the ramifications of what can you know can come from that as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you went through all this training. So how many total months or years of training did you go did you, you go through? So
2: about 18 months of 18 October months. 2002 okay. uh, and then finally shipped off May 2004. And uh, yeah, about 18,
0: 18 months. Okay, so you arrived where you did you go right to Iraq? Is that where you went?
2: Yeah, so after Fort Hood left, went to to Baghdad, and I had to meet up with my unit there that I was assigned to. Got there. We were uh, initially got there in the international zone is where the brigade, and I won't throw a lot of military terminology out here. So then I got to my actual unit, uh, and when I got there, usually the first job you know, as, a, as an officer in you know, the infantry is you're going to go be an infantry platoon leader, mm-hmm. but they don't just, you, you kind of got to wait for a platoon to open up as well. So I got there and spent the first couple of months kind of in a support role, just helping out and waiting for a platoon to open up. So I took over my platoon in July of 2004, uh, there in central Baghdad. And we were actually in a really slow part of Baghdad. Like there was no combat going on at all. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't see any action and, uh, I well, kind of got out, went on patrols and what's drove average, around.
9: And- what's the average temperature in July in Baghdad? <laughs> 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 or people... <laughs>
2: People, people
9: ask me that.
3: They're just like, well, you know, it, it's a dry heat, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <It's a hundred
9: laughs> That's always excuse. It's a,
2: it's dry, a dry heat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, when it's 115 degrees and you're wearing 60 pounds of stuff, hot oh, is hot.
9: I was so, actually involved real. with the, uh, oh, an, uh, oh, a, a thing called Operation yeah. AC. We sent over about, about 100,000 air conditioning units to Iraq at that time. Hmm. Oh, you did? Yeah, my sure. friend Frankie Mayo, she runs like Operation AC, and they sent over lots of air Wonderful. conditioners and a couple million pair of boots because these guys don't get new boots when you wear your boots out. They only give you yeah, so you much can't. gear, and that's it. Oh, man. That's all you get. Yeah. <laughs> People don't understand yeah. that. You get this pair of boots, and once you wear a hole in them, oh, well, you got a hole in your boots.
2: God. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, but...
9: So, yeah, so we were started
2: off in that slow area, and then our, our sister company, a part of the bigger unit I was at, they were uh, – so I was living in the international zone but working just south of it. They mm-hmm. were living just north of the international zone and what was becoming a, a really bad part of, of just really all of Iraq, uh, the Haifa Street area. And so they moved us up in late July, early August to uh, start helping those guys out. Just needed a bigger presence up there, and that's when, you know, the – the you-know-what kind of hit the fan, and that's when we started seeing uh, a significant amount of com- combat. You know, probably, I'd say, 60%, 70% of the time we went on a patrol, something happened. And really? What the, and it was primarily, so what the, so they had this insurgent group that had kind of, uh, as part of Al-Qaeda in Iraq, and people were leaving Fallujah, which was really bad at the time, and some of those insurgents were setting up shop there in downtown Baghdad on, on Haifa Street, lucky us. So what they would do is they would just pay – the main street we we're on looked nice. I mean, nice buildings. It's where a lot of people with money lived. But behind it was just the biggest shantytown, slums, raw sewage through the streets, the, some of the poorest people in Baghdad. So they would go and just pay the local kids to harass us with grenades. And uh, and so that was a lot of what we did. I and mean, then every two, three weeks, four weeks, they would organize some big – Coordinated attack against us. Uh, it was, was kind of like clockwork uh, from from August through you know December, early January time frame, and it was it was constant. And uh, fortunately, you know, so I was a platoon leader. I had thirty four men under my command, and uh, I didn't lose anyone. Uh, but we did have when that deployment ended, uh, so the thirty four men we had twenty seven Purple Hearts for injuries sustained in oh, wow. combat. God, that's amazing. Yeah. Jeff, we need to take yep. a very quick break, but we'll be right
0: back. You have another segment in you, don't you? Yes, yes. We'll get into the second deployment. It's more about the book stuff as well then. That's it. okay with you guys. Love it. Absolutely. We'll be right back just a couple of minutes more with Jeff Morris. We've now uh, we've gone through the international zone to the south, the international zone itself to the, to the north. Where are we headed
2: now, Jeff? Yeah, so we finished that deployment up, came home in, in May of 2005, and just kind of a quick segue in a weird set of circumstances, that takes way too long to explain. Uh, I ended up you know, usually, as, so I was a platoon leader. My first deployment as a cap, as a lieutenant, and then usually there's three platoons and a company, and a company's led by a captain. And because of some rearranging and just a shortage of personnel, uh, about five months after we redeployed, I got put in command of the sister company. So a bunch of guys that I'd worked with every day and. So we trained up and uh, kind of started getting worse. I guess I took command in October of 2006 and, uh, excuse me, October of 2005. And then had a year to train everybody up and then redeployed back to Baghdad in October of 2006. And that's when I went to I was still in Baghdad this go around. And the unit that I led, our, our unit nickname was Legion. And hence, part of the the name of the book. Right. And so we, the first deployment was more kind of what you imagine if you watch a Black Hawk Down. It was kind of street fighting, an enemy you could actually shoot back at. You hear about IEDs in Iraq all the time, but we didn't have a big problem with IEDs that first deployment. But the second deployment, we went to what was kind of universally known as you know the, the IED hotspot for for all of Iraq at that point. So we got there and. <clears throat> of got off to an ominous start. The unit we were uh, switching places with uh, like their last day before they shipped out. They're kind of their last time to go out and ride with us one more time. Uh, they weren't riding with my company that day with one of our sister companies and got attacked and they lost a guy. Poor, you know, people were supposed to be flying to Kuwait later that night to head home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then my unit, the overall big unit I was a part of, you know, lost somebody to, the very first day, uh, very first week, I guess you could say. So we started patrolling, and in the first couple of months, uh, you know, we were hit with some IEDs, uh, but relatively unscathed. And at the time, the enemy had started using these, if you hear the term Iranian roadside bomb, it's a a different kind of IED. It's called an EFP, an explosively formed projectile, that instead of blowing like out and big everywhere, it it shoots a, a molten slug of copper and can penetrate pretty much any vehicle we have. And once it hits the vehicle, that's what creates the shrapnel. And fortunately we didn't have any direct hits with those. Uh, But on March 15th, 2007, uh, one of my lead vehicles was hit by an EFP and no one was hurt, uh, but it did disable the vehicle. And uh, we were operating, even though it's command of a larger unit at this point, we operated in smaller elements. I I wasn't out there. Uh, It was only four of my vehicles at this point. the six guys got out from adjacent vehicles to go set the the Bradley up to be able to tow it out, and that's when a secondary IED went off on the ground that was designed specifically for, for men on the ground. It had ball bearings in it. Ooh. And unfortunately, uh, four of my men were killed instantly. Uh, two suffered catastrophic injuries and ended up passing in the following days. Uh, the reason those two lived were... Heroic actions of a young kid who jumped out, put a tourniquet on one, and uh, gave medical aid to the other. And even though they didn't make it, I mean, he was still kind of the, the hero of the day. Sure. And then, unfortunately, a little less than three weeks after that, that young man was shot by an enemy sniper. Oh, and God. That's, if, uh, and it's in the book, but I don't mind you know giving out because it's, it's on the back cover. You read about it, the, the pull and the charge. So uh, when we were carrying him in, Uh, He was still alive uh, after he was shot, and uh, was a big kid. And one guy grabbed one leg, one guy grabbed another leg, and I held his shoulders and head. The bandage came off, and was trying to keep things, you know, uh, from not bleeding. You know, it wasn't doing a whole lot, but anyways, we knew he wasn't going to make it, uh, and we had called for a helicopter, and they were going to medevac him. And so, after he left, is when I went to clean myself up, and. I was in the mirror cause I had to go address the rest of the men and kind of give them an update and obviously wasn't looking in a good shape. So that's uh, when I was washing my hands and face, I felt this burning sensation on my face and I looked up and I had this cut, it was real thin, but a little bit of blood was seeping out of it and kind of from my nose up to about my ear. And then I looked down at my hands and saw that where I had been holding his head, I had small fragments of a skull stuck in my hand and I'd cut myself open when I was cleaning myself. So yeah, that uh, that that was the thing that messed me up pretty good. I uh, could imagine. Kind of yeah. sent me into a sent me to a dark place for a while, and we ended up losing the eighth man <laughs> a couple of months after that. And you know, we redeployed and came home in January of 2008. We were there as part of the surge, so it was a 15 month deployment, so a 12 month deployment, and us and everybody just kind of scattered. And uh, like a lot of guys in in the military and in our situation, my marriage was kind of on the rocks. My my ex and I had had a, our, our son, he was born three months before I deployed, you know, so I came home to this 18 month old toddler and thought I'd kind of just put those experiences behind me and focus on being a dad and my relationship. But I was, was pretty wrong. And you know, the, the part about not being able to face your reflection is uh, for almost five years after that event happened in the, the bathroom in the mirror that day, I, I did anything and everything I could to not look into a mirror because if I did, it just sent me right back to that moment. And, uh, so I, I shaved my head. I kept shaving my head. I brushed my teeth in the shower, anything to not look into a mirror because I would see that image uh, from that day. And yeah, I didn't really realize the effect it was having on me. I was, was kind of a, not kind of, I was a hypocrite. I would give my men the advice and tell them to go talk to people. We started seeing a couple of suicides from the unit and but I never took my own advice. I just tried to put on the the strong man face and and be there for the boys. And the fact of the matter is I needed to, I needed someone to kick me in the butt and uh, get me to take care of me before I could be any piece or or any good for anyone else. And fortunately uh, that happened in Christmas of 2011 uh, before I finally realized that I had gone into a dark place. You know, I didn't turn to drugs or alcohol or anything. I just, went into a hole. I didn't do anything to develop or cultivate any relationships of any depth. I, you know, I had a good job and looked good on paper and, you know, put on one heck of an act, but inside I was just empty outside of the, the love for my son.
0: I could see that. Uh, now, Jeff, uh, going back a bit here, how long had you known those men? Uh, uh, and it, what, would do you say? Four or five, six of them or more were killed, uh, in that incident?
2: How long had you kn- yes? Yeah, so, how long had you known them? It varied. Some were guys from the first deployment, uh, so I'd known them for several years now. Okay. Uh, several had been, you know, at least a year uh, with with all of them, if not a little bit longer. You know, but when you spend every waking second with the same group of guys, you, you become really quick or really yeah. close, really yeah. quick. Yeah, uh, you know, and I get, you know, I was the officer, and I'm, you know, they were they were the men, and you know they. I'm not claiming we were all best friends, but we had a very tight knit unit and a high level of respect for each other. So it was, yeah, I mean, it was, it was devastating.
0: You know, the reason I ask you that, Jeff, is that I, in the last uh, about 18 months, lost four friends. Now, I didn't have their, you know, charge their skull in my hand, I didn't have to watch them die. Um, I just lost four, four friends, guys that I grew up with. You know, some died very young and other well, they were all pretty young to tell you the truth. But losing those four guys, I think about it every day still because I will never see them again. But then, guys that you'd known for all those years, for several years, watching them
2: be killed, how, how do you ever get over that, Jeff? Yeah, I think in, it's kind of back through my, you know, I, I guess once I went to counseling and i was rocked with survivor's guilt. you know you have those images you're talking yep. about in your head but yep. you know then i have to be like i'm the guy that told him to go do this and now right you know and i've got to know several other families and you know still very close with many of them now and you know one of the kids that died this first four uh we swapped places in that vehicle at the last minute and oh, yeah. you know then i had his mom you know when i finally met his mom in person and told her that you know sobbing like a little baby she just Grab me and, you know, put my head against her chest and just said, you know, that just means God wasn't ready for you yet. He was ready for my Jimmy for reasons I don't understand, but you were, so the, the will and strength of that mom to, you know, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, it doesn't go away. I guess for me, it was, uh, and, and I talk about it a lot in the book, it's, uh, it's the power of choice. It's the acceptance that these things happen to me. Uh, acceptance is not a one-time choice where, mm-hmm. I tell all of you on the radio today, Hey, I accepted these things and voila, I'm good. You know, it's it's something I, I literally every single day I wake up in the morning and after I do my workouts and run, I kinda I have a few moments to myself and that's just where I ask myself of, you know, what's what's it gonna be today? And am I gonna choose to focus on the, the privilege of all these experiences and relationships with these men and incredible things we did or am I gonna let the burden of some of the things that came from it? Uh, and I'd say 98% of the time I make the right choice and go about to honor their names and you know be the best husband and father I can be uh, and best man I can be and try to make a difference. You know, But every now and then, it's yeah, every now and then there's, there's tough days. Around some of the anniversaries, uh, sure. it, it can be hard. Uh, but the great thing is I get to wake up and make the choice again the next day, and the next day I'm going to make the right one.
0: Yeah, I can understand that. I, I, I tell you what, it, it's quite honorable thinking about it because, as I said, losing someone and and, and watching them uh, die is a whole different deal. Actually holding them and to the point where you walk away with pieces of them, as I said, on your hand, it takes a hell of a str- why do you? Why do you think, did you always know you had that inner strength or did you have to find that?
2: I I think I think you want to think you have it, but until you're put in that situation, you don't really know. (laughs) Uh, And uh, it's call it fight or flight, call it whatever you want. I mean, it's
9: I can't even um, comprehend
2: uh, it. Yeah, I mean, my head can't even wrap around it. You know, but neither could I until I was put in that situation. Neither could anyone. I I think we all think we could do it, but until you're in that situation, you don't really know. And I I tell people, man, I've seen six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds. Muscle-bound studs, you know, turn and run when the bullets start flying, and then a yeah. little 115-pound so guy that everyone thought was a nerd turns into Rambo on the battlefield. <laughs> so there's exactly.
9: truly, there's truly no preparing for it. There's no training. Either. Yeah, no, you you, can't.
2: exactly, exactly. And uh, it's scary. People are like, it's well, it like the first time you get shot at?" Him? I'm like, "I was scared as heck, man." <laughs> and, <you> know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not going to try to sound tough. Yeah, I mean, the, in, nothing normal about that.
9: In those years, you mentioned there was a group of guys that were actually army. That had a band. I think they were called Frontline or on the front line, and they were actually recording music out there on the front line. Really? Yeah. And they they yeah. they put out a bunch of. Are you familiar with them? No, I've heard of it before, but not not familiar. Yeah, yeah I was actually. I was yeah. I was getting their stuff online at the time, like live, live, oh, really? yeah, live from Iraq, and it, they were really good. And they were they were they would sit up in like these abandoned buildings and and record and send it out. <laughs>
0: You know, Jeff yeah, like well, maybe, I'm sorry. no, go ahead. I, I want you to finish because I want to tell you a very quick story, kind of lighten things up a bit, but
2: well, in a way no, okay. in a way yeah, I was just going to say that unfortunately, where I was working at both deployments, I, I think if we would have started, to start we were already a big enough target, just playing music and making a lot of noise, I think would have yeah. probably <laughs> yeah. not, not ended well for that ended well for the home team.
0: I, I just told this story a couple of days ago, but I was 14 years old. My oldest brother, who was nine years older than me, got back from Vietnam. And he is—he was a long-range reconnaissance patrol guy, a lerp. And I didn't really even know what that was, but he came home. And that was back in the day where you didn't have a remote. You had to get up and turn the channel on the television. Oh, I, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> you, okay, you do remember. Okay, so, Jeff, my yep. brother gets home, and he said, Hey, Tommy, would you turn it over to Channel 9? And I went, well, Why don't you get up and do it? Now I'm 14. He's fresh back. Literally by the way, he was in Vietnam and in our house within 24 hours. Wow. 24 wow. hours they put him right back into society, which I thought was a big mistake, but you know, mm-hmm. that's what they did then. But anyway, I said, "Change it yourself." He goes, "I'm just going I just want to ask you again, to just change it." And I said, "Forget it. I'm not doing it." And then I decided that was not a wise decision, and I got up and ran and (laughs) locked myself in the bathroom. So he comes and knocks on the door, and he goes, Tommy, open the door. And I said, no. He goes, look, I'm not going to do anything. I just can't have you talking to me like that. Just open the door. I said, no, I'm not opening it. So he opened the door right down the middle of the door, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. He, he cracked the door in two, and he, all he did is he came in and put his hand on my shoulder and said, you can't treat me like that, and turned around and left. And I will never forget that. I mean, he was extremely pissed off but not to the point where he wanted to gut me. And did it, <laughs> well, that and was did it
9: change anything? It'll change
0: yeah. attitude, it changed my attitude. I'll did. tell you, yeah, it changed my attitude quite a bit. <laughs> I bet. Yes, it I did. <laughs> so I uh, thank you so much for your service, Jeff uh, Legion rising, the name of the book, surviving combat and the scars it left behind. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you. Thank you for being who you are. It's, it's
2: fantastic. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to come on the show. And, uh, yeah, you know, I hope everybody reads the book. It's it's a tough read at times. Yeah. Uh, you talk about the things that aren't in the movies. There's, you know, we've already spoken about one today, but there's several others. But I felt it was important for people to, you know, see the things and uh, the things that people don't want to talk about unless they're alone in a dark room with no one else
0: around. I suppose that's true. Uh, yeah, more stories. I'd love to have you back on again, Jeff, because I, I love talking to people like you people that actually get out and do things. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a good day. Bye. Jeff Morris, ladies and gentlemen. The book's called Legion Rising, Surviving Combat, and the Scars It Left Behind. We'll be right back with the family. Best of the Tom Bernard Podcast.
3: America, fuck yeah!
0: Come out to
3: save the day America, Fuck yeah! Is the only way. That
5: was Jeff Morris on the best of God bless all those who sacrificed so much on that day and since then. Coming up next, closing out the show, we're opening up the old vault. All the way back. We're going back to Cindy Morgan from Caddyshack fame. Next. Fuck yeah!
3: Fuck yeah!
0: I will tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our very special guest, Cindy Morgan. Hi, Cindy, how are you?
6: Hi, Tom, good talking to you, and I met Andy on the phone. Who else is there?
0: Kelly Guest is here. Kelly's a longtime radio veteran. See, you know, awesome. Now, Cindy, I've talked to you before I, before I continue with the introductions. Uh, I've talked to you many times because I've been doing the same morning show for the past 29 years. Uh, KQRS in Minneapolis. So I've interviewed you several times. Oh, actually that's
6: right. Okay, now now it clear. Okay, and yeah.
0: you are always very nice. So I want you to well, <laughs> yeah, don't drop the ball on me and be a total pain don't insult in the ass.
6: anybody today?
0: No, you can insult. I don't. You can insult anybody you want. That's fine by uh, me.
6: Okay. Uh,
0: anyway, yes. So you met Kelly. You met Andy. Mike Molina's here with us. Mike, uh the
6: lawyer. Mike.
0: Awesome. No, Ron Rosenbaum <laughs> is the lawyer. <laughs> Listen to his last name. His name is Rosenbaum. Who do you think the lawyer is? <laughs> and Tim Isaacson is here with us as well. We, Tim has a dental practice, and we're going to do a video uh, uh-huh. today for Tim, which is a good oh. thing. So it's Kelly, Andy, Mike, Ron, Tim, and Tom. Very, we don't have any, I should have had a list. Should have had a
6: list. We don't, okay. we
0: don't have any bars or anybody like that that's hard to, you know. You got,
6: uh-huh. You know, well, okay.
0: So Cindy. Yeah. What year did Caddyshack come out? 80,
6: 1980.
0: So for 34 years, you've had to have people coming up to you going, oh my God, I was in <laughs> love with you the first time I ever saw
6: you. The first couple of years, I didn't even work. There were, <laughs> there were incidents on the set, and uh, the, one of the producers said, do it my way, or blah, 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 and I... It is my way, so <laughs> instead, so I didn't work for a long time until Disney came calling. Exactly. What was your
0: way? What, what was your way that that? It uh, was didn't a very w-
6: difficult scene to do, and without making the deal ahead of time, he sent Playboy down to shoot the scene, and uh-huh. I, I was actually registered with Playboy as as a, a model, just a regular model, but. Uh, I couldn't do it. I was the Irish Spring girl on camera, and I said, we've got a conflict. This won't work out. Oh. And I got threatened. I called my agent and said, help me. And he said, honey, you're not a doe-eyed girl from the Midwest. Handle it. So I handled it and came back and fired him. But in the meantime, Good I had to take on the producer. Well, you got it. I mean, come on. This right. is your job. I'm doing my job. So uh, the producer screamed and yelled and screamed and yelled and, and threatened me with everything, took away my pay deb, took away my billing. I'm not on the, on the poster, but... He did me the biggest favor because he really, can I say piss me off on a podcast? You can
0: say whatever you want to say, Cindy. You can say whatever you want on my radio show. I don't he care. He
6: really, really, he backed me into a corner. And you know what it's like. When somebody backs you into a corner and continues and continues, you're not afraid anymore. And right. Right. That was the day Lacey Underall was born. That was the day I said I don't, I just don't care anymore. Let's get in here, let's do the scene. I'm clearing the set, and all the guys are going, "Well, I need to be here." I, know. And I said, "I got the sound guy. I need to be here." I said, "I got an FCC license that says you don't." Yeah, <laughs> no, go out, that's your boom mic, go out there and watch your meters. Get out of here.
0: <laughs> no. Cindy, I got to believe that even uh, 34 years later, every young yeah. man in America knows who Lacey Underall is.
6: It's really, it's really a phenomenon that I find amazing. That over time, that it 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 grows and grows. Some guy came up to me at a some place and said, "Would you sign this to my father, my son, and myself?" Yeah. And that was that was really sweet and a little confusing, but <laughs> it was it was one of the sweetest things I'd ever heard. That was really.
0: So I have to have you, ask you a question, um, yeah. and, and I mean I mean this is a great compliment because my wife is one of these. Uh, you're a tough broad. I love tough broads.
6: What's <laughs> so tough? I mean, this is a job. I want to do my job.
0: So. Yeah, but you're not, you didn't roll over and just go, oh, okay. You said, you yeah, know, what? screw you?
6: Can't now, do that. The job's more important than anything. Doing, doing the best I can has always been really important to me, that that work ethic and doing my very best means that somebody's screwing with me. That's my space on camera. Yeah.
3: And that's
6: more than that. And, and I'm ultimately responsible. And also when that camera rolls, it's an even playing field. So that's important to remember, too. So I just want to do the very best I can without, you know, knuckleheads. Involved, so but
0: you know, that does create problems for you as far as working is concerned because oh, yeah, there is no bigger kiss ass joint in the world than Hollywood, and it disgusts me. It disgusts me that they're oh, yeah, I'll do whatever you I'll believe whatever you want me to believe.
6: I mean, come on, probably why they keep trying, you know. And and I'm like, have you not met me? Haven't we spoken before? (laughs) You know, I'm here to do a great job, you know, with or without you, roll the camera.
0: I like that, and you
6: love what you do. I do. I I mean, I really do. i mean, so lucky to do something you love. I mean, not everybody gets to do it. And most people will tell you it's it's not that 10%, that 5% of your time you spend on camera. It's everything else you get paid for. That 5% is a payoff because it's such a great feeling. It's hard work, but it's a great feeling.
0: No question. Did Did you guys know, well, there's no way you could have known that Caddyshack was going to become this massively popular movie. I mean, my oh, God, people love it.
6: No, we thought we were in a lot of trouble because we were misbehaving really badly. It was Animal House on a golf course. Anyway, it was. Yeah. We, were just, we were just just as bad. But it, what was nice was these, these are unbelievably well-trained performers. We have four of the funniest men on the planet there trained very differently. Each of of them, you know, uh, Bill, Bill Murray, Rodney Dangerfield, Ted Knight, and Chevy Chase, all very different in their approach, but each one amazing to work off of. And, and, uh, it's, it's hard to go wrong. Just play it where, where it is. It, whatever they throw at you, you throw it right back. And uh, that's what works so
0: long. Now, Cindy, I, have to, I do have to ask you this. And you don't even have to answer this question if you don't okay. want to. But, okay. but But when people started coming down on you, because I, I'm sure, that, oh, God, you know, Cindy Morgan's hard to work with. She's a pain in the ass. I've add. never heard,
6: honestly, never heard that. But well, I've, I've heard... No, no, but on that set they kept trying to get me to do that one scene. Right. And after after that, I was Lacey. They really thought I was Lacey, which was awesome, because I got to push them around a little bit. Afterwards, they were a little afraid. It was really cool. So uh, I got away with that on that set. That was was fun.
0: Was it really difficult to get a date after Caddyshack? Jack?
6: I, you know, not so much difficult to get a date. After that, I moved to another agency, William Morris, and mm-hmm. uh, I had more uh, lunch dates with agents than I had auditions. Literally.
3: Oh, that's really?
6: Bad number, <laughs> bad number to have. You know, um, so it took a while to get ground under my feet, but finally Disney came calling. Oddly enough, after Caddyshack, and just set things rolling again.
0: Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, it, it's it's got to be tough. To, how old were you? Uh, when Lacey was born, I mean, when, oh,
6: when,
0: when you became yeah. Lacey
2: under—let's
6: just say I started in radio. Started in radio, actually, in school. I had three jobs: yeah, uh, TV and two in radio. One at the commercial station in town. I was a news stringer, so I had lots of experience under me before I, I got to uh, something like that. So, because they were at living, that wasn't a problem. They had living really uh, because you know you work at a radio station, you got to think on your feet all the time.
0: Yeah, you do. You know, I, we were just talking about that as a matter of fact, and, and I think you'd appreciate this because you just have a very natural way of speaking that ninety nine percent of people in radio suck at it. Well, they, <laughs> I, okay. Is that not true?
6: Well, it depends on who, 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 where, what city you're in, and who you're talking to. It's all, it's all very different.
0: Yeah, that's true. You're right about that. But, but for some reason, people when they get on radio. They think they have to be, you know, faster or louder or bigger, or and they don't need to. It's just, would you calm down and just do your job? <laughs> <laughs> calm down, everything will be fine.
6: Are you talking about the guests? Or are you talking about no? The I'm talking who are about the, the, the
0: job. I'm talking about the people that think they're radio announcers or whatever the hell that job is called.
6: Yeah, there's there's a wide variety that I run into, and all very different. They're all they were all interested. The first job I had was awesome because my first job out of college at a next commercial station, I was doing the all night shift. I was actually yeah. records. And, doing yeah. and the morning guy had this very serious voice, you very know, right? and could never break him, could never break him. So we were pulling wire copy at that time, you know, those long right, sure, of wire sure. copies. And finally, I got under the council and lit his copy on fire from the bottom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that.
6: <laughs> well, it worked. I got his attention. <laughs>
0: Now, how did you handle it? Because you were a young woman, and all of a sudden, yeah. you're the dream. Every boy in America, and, well, every boy in the world's dream. How did you handle that?
6: That really didn't, uh, wasn't a reality for me, because it, uh, Caddyshack wasn't a, a, a huge success when it came out. Yeah. It came out. It did what it did. Apparently, on the press conference, all the boys were in a bad mood. <laughs> and uh, a, lot of, a lot of things happened, and it didn't hit as a success. But over time, it was one of those films that people just love to see, like a great song on the radio that always puts you in a good mood when you hear it, so you have to turn it on. Caddyshack became one of those films that people mm-hmm. just, it, it doesn't have a time element in it. We're all wearing golf wear, or in my case tennis wear, but, you know, yeah. it just lasted forever. So I, it's, it's so grateful to be part of that. Can you imagine being that lucky to get dropped into that situation and, and you, know, yeah. you know, to hold, hold the line? It and is,
0: it's, it's him. Lacey, did all those stars get along? I mean, you really had quite a crew. It probably oh, pretty it, disparate. It was, what was it like off camera?
6: Off camera, we we did hang out. Actually, oh, they should have turned the cameras around a lot of times uh, for whatever reason. It was 1979 when we shot it, released in '80s. So um, again, let me say it was 1979, and thing you know, it was a, it was a bit of a festive atmosphere. Let's say <laughs> after, after filming,
0: I could see hectic. Now, Kelly, I'd be interested in you talking to Cindy because two women... Two lovely women talking to one another is something you don't you don't hear very often without. uh, Sure, Kelly, come on
6: and ask me. Well, you know, I mean, I obviously, I mean, that film just lives on, and I mean, I love it, and I've watched it. I can't even tell you how many times. But yeah, I mean, when you went through that little lull after that, before you said Disney came calling, I mean, did you lose your confidence? And after having you know hit kind of a real huge high, and did you start wondering if you were going to have to do something? No, actually, because I had enough money to to live on, and I, I was dating one of the guys from the family. And I was having a good time. I was enjoying the process and could pay my bills, and uh, really wasn't thinking about. It. I wasn't. I never had that desperate. I got to have it. I got to grow. I got to. I work because I love it, and mm. that's the best thing to do. When you, if you work because you love it, you're going to be good, no matter what you think. But Kelly, I'll tell you a secret that the guys don't know. Okay, you want to hear something? Oh yeah. Okay, the reason they love this lazy character is because she was doing what every guy had been doing all along. And you know how the guys go on and on, oh, you weren't wearing a bra. It was 1979. That was a political statement. We burned our bra. But guys don't want to hear that, so don't tell them, okay? Okie dokie, just between (laughs) us. But you know, it doesn't sound like you ever really took the whole sex symbol thing all too terribly seriously. Am I right? No, I mean, you know, I I mean, I look at them like, all right, you know, know, I'm just still floored. Like, I was, I came from an all girls Catholic high school, and then went to Northern Illinois University. I walked in with a stammer. It came out in broadcasting, so obviously kind of an overachiever, but I was fixed up with cousins for both of my proms in high school. It wasn't like this was a lot of dating or that was even a factor in my mind. So, that, again, that was that was a, a bonus because when I was uh, got this audition, I thought, they're never going to hire me, so I can just do whatever I want, which turned out to work for the character of Lacey.
0: That's you know, just awesome. What's I wanna know who you were dating. That's what I want. Mr. No. Chin or <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
6: right. it didn't it didn't work out ultimately, but uh for whatever reason I decided that, that Denunzio was the one for a couple of years.
0: Denunzio
6: yeah, I know. I, I, I just uh, I don't want to get that thrown up to me, but yeah, that was that was the idea.
0: Yeah, but you were a Catholic kid, so a guy named Denunzio makes sense.
6: <laughs> I don't think that was it. I think, I, think it was, <laughs> I don't know what it was. Honestly, I think I was just swept away by the the whole excitement of working together and and just how much fun it was. And it just you know we all, we had a group of friends that hung out afterwards for a while. A few of us from the set, so you know it, it just seemed like the thing to do.
0: Well, I will and, tell you,
6: and that didn't work out. So I went on to Tron.
0: Tron. Yeah, Tron. That's a whole... You know what's really funny about that is when that movie came out I was like, ooh, look at the effects on this. And now you look at it it's like, really?
6: (laughs) Well, the thing is, see it it in Blu-ray. You want to know... Yeah, that's true. If if you see it in Blu-ray on a large screen, I I saw this set up at some place I was at and little kids, two, three years old, who'd never seen it, had no idea what they were looking at, came and sat down and they were, I mean, just Mesmerized by how beautiful it looks on film, because mm-hmm. they they did it the hard way when they did Tron. It wasn't like it was all knocked out in ten minutes. They did it cell by cell. It was something like I don't know three hundred and fifty thousand cells that were one foot by three and a half feet that were hand painted and hand layered into thick layers. It was it was astonishing how difficult this process was. So it holds up beautifully over time.
0: See, That's a wonderful thing. You know, I, I really love Cindy is your enthusiasm. Uh, from the m- moment you start an interview till, till the moment uh, you get to the end of it, I well, love.
6: I'm not going to call you and be bored. That would- <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, some people,
0: you know, they, they love to be interviewed, and other people just don't understand what being interviewed is even all about
6: yeah they didn't start out of broadcasting did they
0: well you know i think you're absolutely right about that and you by the way you should you should you should get your own show on like sirius xm or something we talked about
6: of. that for a while but i've talked about that with a couple different people when things settle down and i finish the book i'm working on then i'd love to segue back into it hell do it from home but i it's yeah. easier to work off of somebody me talking to myself or oh, my cat would be seriously boring
0: <laughs> no problem I mean, I,
6: I'd like to work with someone else, but uh, yeah, just I just like what I do. Again, very lucky.
0: Well, you're terrific. I love talking to you. And I'm, as I said, over the years I've talked to you many, many times, and I always have Thank a ball you. talking to you, dear.
6: Thank you, and we'll we'll have to do it again. I
0: right, we will very soon. Thank you, Cindy.
6: Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Kelly, and. Uh Uh, CindyMorgan.com is is the website, so that'll have updates on anything, and all the websites, Facebook and Twitter and all that come off of that. So thank you for this interview today. Happy Thanksgiving.
0: Thank you for the interview. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Cindy.
6: All right. Talk
0: to you later, Cindy Morgan, the lovely Cindy She's Morgan. She's awesome. She's always been a great interview. She's very enthusiastic. She's a nice person, not a pain in the ass. Mm-mm. You know the whole deal. Gold Vikings, let's
3: win this game. Gold Vikings, honor your name. With
5: yet another episode of the best of the Tom Bernard podcast, brought to you as always by Bradshaw Bryant, right down the center, no wide left necessary, with great clips. From Rocky Laporte, Jeff Morris, Cindy Morgan. We'll see you next week.